Hi, and welcome to Gomology, a podcast about menswear and clothing, old and new, from a perspective of buying, wearing, evaluating, appreciating and collecting. The idea is to provide a non-fashion view of what men might wear if they knew more about it and the stories that go with. There will likely be no mention of tailoring or pocket squares. This is uh, episode six and uh, my friend Ducky is back for an early Sunday morning chat about our favourite brands, why they're favourite, what does a brand really mean these days and um, yeah we go a bit deep on stuff around it. Sunday morning garment philosophy if you like. Uh, I hope you enjoy it. Have fun. For a uh, Sunday morning live chat about uh, favourite brands. This is a request from uh, a previous listener who was pretty curious about what sort of brands we like, why we like them, and maybe we'll talk a bit more about what is really in a brand these days. Right. Would you like to kick off, Ducky? And don't say Primark. (laughs) (laughs) Spoiler alert. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah, so I guess, you know, in terms of favourite brands, I mean, they've, they've definitely changed in part over time, but there are brands that, and when I say over time, it's sort of like in the last 15, 20 years or something like that. That's a long time. It is, isn't it? I'm (laughs) I'm getting old, Nick. I'm catching up. Yeah, but but I guess there's there's a thing about what is it that we like with um, certain brands and how have they sort of developed over time as well. so my, you know, like a good example of a brand that I've really been into, which won't be any secret, is uh, Tender. Uh, that's something that I've, you know, been into for well, kind of shockingly, best part of a decade now. I think. Has it must really be been going that long? Yeah, I'm just trying to think back now. I mean, that it must be. Well, if not, if not ten years, then close to it. You know, so yes. yeah, it must be, it must be that long, really. Um, <laughs> It always strikes me that he has a really, not a very good brand name. <laughs> yeah, in terms of searching for it, you mean? You sort of think about the sort of tender loving care and so forth, but it's not really named after that. It's named after the tender on a steam train who puts the coal in, which is an entirely different proposition. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. so I mean, yeah. So if you try to search for it, a lot of people have started using Tender Co, which makes a lot of sense. <laughs> yes. um, uh, and actually, I remember the first time I saw it as well. Uh, it was in, I think it was in Pegs and Sons, uh, my local shop, that even like years ago. And I remember looking at it going like, what a strange brand. Like, I just didn't get it at all. But that's exactly what sort of drew me to it, I think. Um, and as far as I can tell, it hasn't really changed that much over time either. Well, this is the thing. I mean, so I think the reason I start with Tender as well is because I think it'll sort of show the sorts of things or emphasize the sorts of things that I'm really into. Uh, and one of those things is, you know, I think what uh, William does is he he sort of every year he does like some weird experimentation. Mm-hmm. And I think he's more into the process of making something mm-hmm. uh, without necessarily always knowing exactly what the outcome will be. And that sort of process of I'll have a go as a sort of a mad scientist type thing (laughs) at doing this interesting production method and then I'll end up with something that I can't quite predict but I'm sure it'll be interesting Mm. that's kind of an interesting thing and over time I think he's refined uh, a lot of his approaches so again I think he you know in terms of the weaves that he uses he's been experimenting a lot Um, there's a bunch of sort of different variations of denim that he's used and obviously the other aspect that I really like about his stuff is the natural dyes and to be honest, that was one of the things that really drew me in is the first time I remember is I saw a turmeric shirt um, and the color of that. And it was just like, that looks so different and distinct yeah. to, you know, your synthetic dyes. Very and that really drew me subdued, in. Subdued, yellowy, yeah. curry color, really. <laughs> exactly. Like a good, like a good takeaway. <laughs> it drew me in. Because that, uh, yeah. that really is really is William's thing. It's a it's a constant evolution of fabrics, uh, dyes, cuts, because there's always some weird uh, butterfly shirt or but still there's an overall silhouette and expression 
is definitely compatible over the seasons and years. It's yeah, not like absolutely. he's sort of reinventing everything and following a fashion or anything. He's definitely in his own mind. Yeah, so those sort of like evergreen sort of products that, you know, it's, he hasn't, like he'll do a, so he'll do a work wear inspired jacket, but it won't be like a literal one for one traditional work wear jacket. And because of that, I think that means that, you know, it's his product and it looks a certain way and it's never relevant or irrelevant. It's sort of a timeless design by him for people mm -hmm. that like his stuff. Yeah. Um, and I quite like brands that do that because, you know, there's something about when you into into heritage uh, garments. First of all, they're not cheap, and you're not buying it because they're cheap. You want something that's right. of value over a long time and that's of good quality. And so, something that you know, again, you don't want it to be hip and cool now, and then exactly for that reason be out of out of style. Yeah. Um, and then you know you won't wear it. So yeah, exactly. Like that's that's the that I think William's brand uh, is, is, is a good example of the sorts of things that I, I really appreciate. And the other thing about his approach as well is like it, you know, it doesn't go through any committee, you know, it's most likely just him and maybe one or two other people around him yeah. and whatever vision he has, better or for worse, you know, that that's the product that you get, which is again, really interesting. Because I think tender company is just him and his wife and yeah. the the factory that makes most of his clothes is a husband and wife factory. So we're not talking huge production or huge yeah. companies or anything here. Tender does have its very loyal fans though, doesn't it? You either get it or you sort of really don't. Yeah. Yeah. I think, <laughs> I, I think, and that that's right. And you know what, you know, that that's kind of an interesting thing as well, because you know, in, you know, in today's world, there's space for brands like that. Mm. Uh, whereas, you know, 20 years ago or whatever, that would have been a hard thing to do unless it was a very niche sort of, you know, maybe t-shirt based brand or something. But to have a production at that sort of scale is now manageable because there are people out there that will find it and are willing to pay uh, their sort of fair price for a product like his. But yeah, you're right. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's definitely not, you know, if, when I have friends that sort of realize that I'm into clothes or something and they want some advice, as much as I love Tender, it wouldn't be the first brand that I would suggest to them. You know, it's <laughs> that yes. I realized that you sort of, there, there's a few steps before you get to that level of. That is always very tricky. Once yeah. you've gone down a few rabbit holes of interests, yeah. and sort of uh, divined your own special interests and someone asks you, well, what would you recommend? You, well, yeah, I'm sort of interested in clothes, but sort of not clothes. If you get, <laughs> It's uh, it's quite a sort of different thing without wanting to sound like a real wanker, but uh... and then there's like there's again there's aspects of it because you realise that the things that you and I might value, which is like it ages nicely, um, it has an unusual silhouette, all those things that you might be into, or it re references certain historical garments, they're not necessarily things that appeal uh, to sort of someone that's just starting out, maybe, you know. The, the references are sort of irrelevant for someone that doesn't appreciate the reference. You know, yeah. the, the, the something like a natural dye is just annoying because I bought this yellow turmeric shirt and now it's faded. You know, <laughs> so it's, they're, they're not really pluses. Um, and yeah. that's probably why, you know, the big brands will most likely never do the sorts of products that smaller brands can do uh, yeah. because you don't have that, you know, direct sort of communication or understanding between the customer and, and the maker. But, um, Having said that, you do you have start seeing bigger brands do natural dyes now, and people have sort of started to understand the benefits of it to some extent. But part of me does wonder: is it like a, you know, this couple of seasons it'll last and then it'll sort of fade away again? It's sort of in the nature you know, of things, isn't it? Because the larger brands are fashion brands. That's the reason why they do things in season, because every season they want you to come and buy something new. And if natural dyes is what it takes to for you to come in with your wallet this season, well, that's what they'll do. Uh, cynical, but that is sort of the way they work. Yeah. Um, I was going to mention um, Companion Denim. Mm. Not a very well-known denim brand. Um, it must have been going now for eight years or so. 
Uh, started out as a one-man factory in just outside Barcelona. Yeah. I visited him, uh, was it four years ago, three years ago? Huge selection of vintage machines, which is, of course, obligatory for anyone seriously into making denim. You can't use new machines, which might work better, uh, be more efficient, and don't break down as often. You have to have a huge selection of really ancient machines that cause you no end of hassle, but you can sort of, they look good on photos. But uh, I had a wonderful visit there, and uh, he's made me three pairs of jeans now. Um, not uh, inexpensive, sort of around the 300 mark. Mm -hmm. But then they're made to my measure with the denim I wanted and the fit I wanted. Mm -hmm. So they are extremely nice jeans mm -hmm. uh, and well worth checking out. Uh, as we mentioned in our previous chat, there are a horrendous amount of denim companies out there now all vying for pretty much the same sort of customer, uh, all offering pretty much the same variations over a very narrow product. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's strange you should mention it because uh, I see Tom uh, just uh, popped in here and he, of course, has a, a British denim brand, yeah, uh, United Overalls, which has the unique unit selling point of being made with British denim. Which yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, seen that. that's quite exciting. British brand, British denim, made in Britain, which is a kind of unique selling point there. Mm -hmm. um, a selling point that a lot of other brands don't really have. So what actually drew you to Companion Denim, though? I guess, like, how did you hear about it when then sort of why did you stick around, if that makes sense? I have a feeling I might have discovered it on Instagram. Or else it was a time when I might have been going down some sort of forum rabbit hole or something and discovered it that way. Uh, I just can't remember, really. But there was a there was a period when denim brands were, I mean, they were sort of extra super special if they were a one-man brand. But I think what really drew me to Companion was just the sheer dedication to quality and construction that he, he does. I mean, all the legs are felled seams there's no overlocking it's just completely without compromise which of course is is a major selling point for me um Absolutely. i just love it when things are done not only as good as they can be but perhaps just a little bit better than that as well <laughs> yeah sort of unnecessarily better but it gives you that satisfaction knowing that it is that bit better <laughs> It does, because when I look at something that people are going on about, oh, this is so good, this is excellent, uh, I, I fell out with a guy because there was a, an American one-man brand and this guy was showing me um, showing me his new jeans and I was looking at the overlocked uh, seams in the legs and I was thinking, this isn't as good as they're trying to make out. And they were going, oh, but he's the best, it's immense. Yeah. And, nah, not really, you know, that could have been better. And I've never heard from him since. <laughs> You're so it's funny, it overlocks this. There's, I know there's a lot of debate on, with the sort of denim nerds whether it is worse or not. I mean, for me, I think there's a durability argument and then there's a sort of visual effort argument. And I think a lot of people will argue the sort of, but it, it's possibly more durable and, you know, there's all these debates about that. For me, mm -hmm. it's more about, like, visually, I just prefer the look of something that isn't overlocked and is felt seen because... Is neater, and I know that it's more effort. Uh, and you know, having said that, you know, depending on the weight of the denim, it might not be yeah. appropriate to do felled seams, right? Because you just get like yeah. some. So there's a trade-off there. But it's again, this this is an example of one of the many things that you know someone can do to show that they've gone through that additional effort that they haven't just you know cut corners or yeah. made something that looks like everything else, but actually isn't as nice. So good. That's a that's a good summary because that's exactly how I feel about it. Overlocks are the sort of I mean, they have their place on other fabrics, but on a pair of jeans, it's the cheap and easy solution. Feld means you've done it properly, and of course, it does look that much better. It's like when you're into selvage denim, this is another sort of point where I'll seem like quite a wanker. Uh, when you're into selvage denim and you wear your cuffs turned up and you show off your little selvage thing, and yeah. then you see someone else who have turned up their jeans and it's not selvage, it's Ooh. just an overlocked edge, and you sort of think, ooh. ooh. <laughs> then, then you realise that <laughs> you're the guy with the problem. <laughs> uh, but there you yeah. go. 
Well, so it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's, because it then comes back to me because of that thing where I still think it's, if you like it, wear it however the hell you want. It does not matter in the least. I think actually in some ways, the selfish thing is worse. If you have like a really um, cheap pair of jeans that then try to pretend that they're somehow of a higher quality just because they're stuck on the cheap salvage fabric or in the worst you know, case they've actually put on the sort of a tape at the end of it that looks like salvage but it's yeah. not which you know <laughs> some companies have done um, yeah. that's a hundred times worse than something that's just overlocked I mean depending on the denim it could be yeah. 10 times more interesting to have an interesting pair of uh, you know overlocked denim I mean so it's tender to be uh, a good example of that tender has overlocks stitches on some of their uh, jeans and again it's because you know if you have a 20 ounce pair of you know super duper dyed denim then it just makes sense to overlock it in that case rather than have like you know 40 ounces of uh, felt seams on top of each other um, what about denim though what what's i mean because i guess the companion denim offers like really sort of unique uh versions of denim so what sort of stuff are, have you sort of gone for there I have a pair which, oh God, uh, it's uh, indigo and persimmon dyed. So there is what color is persimmon? <laughs> it's a uh, reddish brown. So there are sort of lovely, uh, almost uh, purple color on the outside, but brown on the inside, and it's a it's a completely unique um, fabric. Yeah. Sadly, as things go, I put on a little bit of weight since I got them, so I haven't really been able to use them that much. <laughs> uh, but oh, I will get there again. So uh, this is this is a pre-commitment device. You know, you you buy a tight pair of jeans, that's your target. You know, you got to get back to it because otherwise it's a waste. So you know, it's it's committing you, Nick. It's a good thing. Well, you have all these guys telling you that you should buy your jeans just a little bit too short because they'll expand in the waist and so forth. Has that ever happened? And how many years of commitment do you have to put into it? <laughs> it's, if you wear a corset, I find it's comfortable, so it's fine. Because um, I, I find that so painful. And then you have the thing, oh, you buy your shoes uh, a size or half a size too small because then they will sort of they will sort of adapt to your feet and become the best ever. And you're sort of wondering six months in that, was this the right choice? Yeah. While you Any hobble time. around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. some, of the, some of these things, they demand so much dedication. It's, it's truly horrible. And that's another example of why we wouldn't recommend it as a sort of like your mate just got into it and then you tell them, this is what you do. You spend loads of money on something that you won't appreciate for the first six months. Then you might start, it might start feeling comfortable and eventually you might understand why it is better than some other brands. So that's the brand that you should go for. You know, <laughs> you don't start out with that recommendation. You start out with, why don't you try a pair of Uniqlo, you know, salvage denim? They're great right. for money, you know. And, and then they have to spend all their free time debating in the echo chamber of some forum about why this was the best choice. Yeah. Well, yeah. And that's a whole, that's probably a whole different discussion altogether. Again, there's that sort of, we've sort of touched on in the previous conversation as well, but you know, sort of the one upsmanship and the sort of very linear view of, you know, good, better, best, okay, best. <laughs> Yeah. The, only, the only thing that's acceptable now and we all agree on the best and if you put anything up that isn't in that little category then you'll be ignored but if you put something in that category then ooh yeah <laughs> loads of feedback <laughs> good choice we're with you <laughs> yeah what are some uh, of the brands I guess we, uh, you've sort of uh, been into uh... well I did bring something out for the show and tell today which is one of my favourite jackets yeah um, it's a uh, Mr. Freedom Mulholland Master. It's a jacket I was after for years and years. It was a, this one was originally made uh, 10 years ago and has not been remade in that colour. So when I finally found one, I had to pounce on it. But it, it did take me best part of 10 years to find it. Uh, luckily, this was an immaculate one. Uh, but Mr. Freedom is a brand based in LA. It's uh, the designer, Christophe, is French. So it's a Frenchman in LA 
where most of the things are made in Japan. Again, definitely not a cheap brand, but I don't think they're making a huge amount of money on it. But again, it's small numbers made. Um, and either I think you understand what he's trying to do or you sort of don't. Because if you don't understand it, it looks like he's making a lot of clothes for dressing up, maybe. Right. Uh, cosplay. Mm. <laughs> but he does a wonderful blog where he goes through all the influences and how each design has been sort of thought out, which is worth reading just just for enjoyment, really. Yeah, yeah. They're really... Uh, Lots of historical documentation and so forth. And and then he sort of ends up with these garments that are very enduring. I have a huge preference for his jackets. They're definitely um, the best value. I find the trousers and shirts and so forth tend to... Uh, not getting as much free money there. Mm. And uh, the jackets are definitely where the most work has gone into them. But I have a few few of his jackets now, and they're definitely in the sort of uh, core collection, if I can say that with a straight face. <laughs> the ones but, uh, that won't move anytime soon. But hard to find in Europe, really. I know Pegs and Son, your local dealer, had some for a while. Uh, Clutch Cafe in London has some. Maritime Antiques in Copenhagen. But they tend to take a very small part of each collection and seldom really choose the good bits i find it's difficult with that because you sort of want to see the range don't you because it, it's sort of he has these he has the overall brand but he almost has sub brands doesn't he he sort of has like lines that are very distinct well, each uh, each season is a whole new idea so this jacket was from a collection which was influenced by um, motorcyclists in la in the 50s um, I have another collection I like a lot, which is um, Saigon Cowboy, uh, off-duty during the Vietnam War, with sort of military camouflage-inspired uh, reinterpretations of jackets from around that time, which is also really good. Another collection might be, um, I think there was one called Sea Hunter, which was sort of Hawaii diving-inspired. So. Uh, and all these collections are, of course, completely independent of any fashion ideas flowing around at the time. It's just that he's probably seen a film or something and then sort of fixated on this period and thought, yeah, yeah, we'll do something about that. And then goes down that rabbit hole. So this jacket, just when I look at that, so, I mean, it looks like a Barber International sort of traditional bell staff. It like uh, the Bellstaff, the Barber International from around that time. It's got the, definitely the same fabric, similar fabric, I'd say, because this is a really thick fabric. It's a heavy jacket, but it's got the it's got the pocket of the trial master where it's sort of skewed a bit so you can get your documents out. Uh, the thing about it, though, it's just so immensely well made. And we compare this to, say, a Bellstaff or a Barber of the time, and it makes them look like um, sort of toy jackets. Mm -hmm. the, the entire lining is in corduroy. Wow. And that, that belt buckle is in solid brass. So it's just, you can just imagine sitting there, how can we make this better? Yeah. Let's do this. How can we make it more difficult to make? And you've even got this part here is leather. It's just immense. Maybe I should do a blog post about it full of really porny close-up details. Yeah. <laughs> because I was going to say, like, for example, the corduroy, or the original, uh, at least the one I have, I think it's like, what is it, the, the sort of collar has a bit of corduroy yeah. and the sleeves and has the a bit cups, of corduroy. Yeah. And that's quite nice. But so that, that's a whole sort of layer of corduroy underneath that. All inside. Right. So that's, like a, <laughs> that's based, effectively an extra jacket, isn't it? So it's effectively like two jackets that you're <laughs> sort of getting there. Sort of an inception jacket. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, Can you do that uh, thing and sort of turn it inside out and wear it? 
with the corduroy side. You can't just get all the wax on you. <laughs> well, there's actually no wax on it. It's not uh, not supplied in the waxed form, so I haven't had the heart to wax it. But uh, I do have um, I do have one of his deck jackets as well, which I hadn't really noticed until he showed a photo on his Instagram where he'd waxed it, and I was thinking, "Wow, that yeah. looks great!" Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I've got the jacket. I've got the wax. I haven't had the heart to do it. <laughs> I remember because I tried. I mean, so um, Ilya, Ilka, he, he waxed this jacket and made it look like it was that easy. And I, a couple of years be like before that, I, I tried to do it with my barber and I hated the process. I just, just, it bled through every bit of the jacket, then got onto the table and now it's just, you know, wax everywhere. So, um, if, and then we're going to um, try at home, just watch a few videos and be a bit more careful than I was because I just ended up with a lot of wax everywhere but the jacket, so. Yeah, it is definitely something you um, have to trial and error and learn from, but it's not tricky. You do have various wa different waxes, though. I mean, using the Barber Thornproof dressing is really very easy because it is basically already flowing. You just need to heat it up a bit more. Yeah, you can put it on, but you really want to do it in a very warm place as well because unless your jacket that you're applying to is also very warm, yes. the minute it touches the surface, it's solid. But you can use, uh, I mean, you have uh, wax in bar form, uh, etc., which is uh, easier to use, could yeah. be easier to use, where you just sort of rub it on. I found the problem the dry, with the dry, sort of straight on. Onto yeah, jacket process. Yeah, yeah. I did do an entire jacket in the Fjellraven uh, wax, but I think I was using too much heat on that because I think the wax was just evaporating as I was applying it. <laughs> <laughs> so I ended up with no wax left and not much on the jacket either. Oh, so, yeah. uh, it's kind of strange. I just saw Ilkas just posted a, a laughing face at me, so I, I guess he, he remembers he remembers my failure as well. Uh, yeah, but I guess it's like. You know, there are companies that will do this. So if you have a nice ball staff or barber jacket, I would recommend just sending it back to the factory and they can actually do it for a relatively sensible price from what I remember. As I've heard, no, I think they actually aren't waxing jackets at the moment. Oh, are they not? Uh, but you do have, uh, you do have uh, the Malin guy, Malin and Son. He appears to corner the market in waxing jackets. Okay. The thing is, the guys who do it professionally, they don't actually charge much. Uh, once you've invested 10, 15 pounds in the wax and sort of got yourself all rigged up, I think it's about 50 pounds to have someone actually do the whole job for you, wax included. So yeah, yeah. No, no one's making their fortune there. There isn't like but, okay. but it is oh, kind of cool to uh, to be able to do stuff like this yourself. Oh, so I just saw Ilkut just said, it just said, Filson e uh, wax is easy to apply as well. So that's the... Yeah. That's another shortcut, apparently. I have some of that in my collection of waxes that I will someday get to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm a sort of bad But uh, right. I, I always have about 2,000 plans that are just waiting for me to... Uh, Graveyard plans. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm the same. You know, I mean, the amount of buttons that I've collected in vintage shops that I've got, oh, I'm going to put that button on that jacket because it's going to look perfect. And then it only takes two minutes to put it on, but, you yeah, know, five years later, I haven't gotten... <laughs> You can also do it while watching telly. So there's really no excuse. Right, 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 right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's a good point. So, so I'm just thinking, with, with, so, I, okay, well, so I was going to say, there's, I, I seem to be noticing a bit of a, what should we call it, a sort of a, a thread through the bands that we like. We didn't really coordinate on this before, but it sounds like, you know, one man sort of uh, uh, brands or brands that are sort of very much a product of one person's vision seems to be so far the thing that we're we're into and then the other aspect that i'm picking up is you know the quality of production and maybe sort of some unusual uh attention to quality in general is the yeah. other thing that we both appreciate well, there's an interesting parallel to that the one man design because cars used to be designed primarily by one person so you talk about the great car, great vintage or classic cars and so forth. And often there'll be one person credited with the design there. Yeah. But at some point during, uh, I think it must have been during the late 80s, you started getting the design by committee type 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And things became a lot blander. Because I don't, you won't get that clarity of vision, that unique idea, the quirkiness, when you're asking 20 people for their input. Yeah. But you have one guy who's really good, and he'll make something really special. Yeah. So I think there is a definite parallel there. Yeah, it's interesting, because I guess maybe that's, and that's maybe one of the things is, you know, when you have a design by committee approach, it probably um, makes generally a product that's that appeals to more people more broadly, but probably, you know, doesn't give anyone that sense of like something that's really unique and special and therefore doesn't really connect to those few people that on a sort of really deep level. Say, I think I think you might not even be talking about appeals more broadly, but rather offends less. Offends less. That's probably so, it, yeah. Is anyone offended by this car? No? Well, that's good. Then. No, Does anyone good. like it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I guess um, I can give another brand that sort of is uh, on, in the sort of same stream, but sort of slightly different as well. It's called Older Brother. So I don't know if you know that brand, but it's an American brand. And they mainly focus on uh, using uh, natural dyes. And so it's sort of very plainly cut sort of uh, classic uh, t-shirts, sweatshirts, uh, jeans. And then what they do is they use natural dyes in all sorts of forms. So I have a couple of items from them uh, that I really like. And one of them is sort of a saffron dyed pair of trousers. I've put that on my, my feet as well. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, that that one that must have been a hell of a process to make those, um, and again, it's really expensive, isn't it? Well, this is the that's exactly what I was thinking. Is like you know oh, when I first saw it, I was like, what? How much saffron do you have to use to you know make a pair of? Um, but that it, it was it was when I bought it, I think just around 150. So, you know, made in the U.S. Um, for you know natural dyed garments from a relatively small brand really yes. good value actually did um, you get it i didn't no i got it from my local um shop called our daily edit um right. so it's from through a retailer yeah so uh, it has been through the markups and so forth so yeah it sounds yeah. very reasonable yeah 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 and you can definitely buy it directly as well although you know when it's an american brand in europe it's always difficult because you sometimes you know when you import it it'll end up costing you even more than you would from buying from a retailer locally, so. Uh, but no, that's a, it's a really interesting brand because I guess it's it's another it's another angle to this sort of what we think about when it comes to quality because it doesn't necessarily make things with you know vintage uh, fabrics or with uh, you know union uh, machines or any of that sort of stuff. It's more modern production and they probably can deliver value because of that because they can yeah. make sort of cut and make jeans and they're sort of using the best techniques and modern uh, approaches. Um, and then the thing that they sort of then focus on is a tedious way of dyeing the, the garments. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's another way of producing something I think is really, really interesting. Yeah. I've never even heard of, uh, heard of the brand. There you go. There you yes. go. It's gave you a bit of uh, something to look into. <laughs> yeah, I also feel really, really sort of put out now because I, I also like to think of myself as knowing pretty much everything. Well, this is the thing. So I'm actually quite proud that I managed to spot something. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to think who I might mention next. Um, I mean, I, I could mention Nigel Cabourn because he is sort of pretty much everywhere. But he's a good example of a brand where I like something he made a lot but I think he hasn't made much that is great. Uh, and he was very much, he sort of had a, a period when he peaked and has not really made anything interesting for me before that and really not made anything after. But in 2003, he did his um, Ascent of Cabourn collection, which was really super inspired and gave us the cameraman jacket, the Mallory jacket, uh, the Everest jacket the most overpriced down jacket ever shown to man um, and so forth. But, and it was as if suddenly all this inspiration came and there was a really cool marketing campaign behind it. Mm -hmm. And then after that, 
there were some years where sort of trying to make more stuff along the same vein and then it's just sort of not really been that great since mm -hmm. uh, which is a shame because i mean if you could have kept up that uh, incredible inspiration there was <laughs> for a brief period there it would be immense um but and sadly as as the inspiration died out the price sort of just kept shooting upwards so it's an example of a brand where everything was right and then everything sort of kind of went wrong so when you when you because i mean i guess one of the things with his brand is you know the classic stuff it comes you know the sort of uh, the cameraman jacket and there's a few other of those that you sort of would sort of usually associate with his lines they sort yes. of come out every year and so oh, they think yes. it's something about you know he sort of got those classic his sort of take on things right the first time and he's ever since just been producing ver variations of the same thing or every season since there have been variations of it some good some not so good some terrible um but you can still also get the sort of original ones so it's quite clear that they are very very aware of what people really like in the range because you can still get the mallory jacket in five different versions i think at the moment so but a lot of the other stuff is uh yeah is it a wonder Lots of collaborations as well, which seem oddly ill-advised with brands that don't really seem to be working for him. But uh, I mean, that, they're selling a bunch of stuff, so I might be the person here who has the oddly uh, out-of-tune interpretation of it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's, there's something about, you know, I guess if you like a certain brand and you sort of have a, an understanding of their products and maybe over time as it gets bigger and starts doing slightly different things you know i guess that's not unusual for for a brand to just start uh, maybe not connecting with you as much because it's doing something slightly different and i guess you still want to hold on to the image that you originally sort of fell in love with or sort of connected to so no I, i've definitely um had that with some with some brands where it's sort of yeah or maybe I also changed over time as well. So, yeah, I guess it's hard to always know where, where that sort of things have sort of changed. Yeah. Well, that, that is a valid point because uh, in my teens, I always used to wear white high-top Nike basketball boots. And I, I was pretty much sure that, that was forever. Yeah. I, haven't thought, I haven't thought about them in 35 years. So <laughs> I think I changed there. Yeah. Yeah, I, I probably was into, well, yeah, certainly a bunch of things I'm not uh, into anymore. I mean, FUBU, I don't know if you remember that, but that was, a, there was a, you know, sort of skater clothing and sort of that sort of stuff in the 90s. I was into that quite a bit. I wouldn't immediately jump to it now, <laughs> but, you know, it was sort of the Fresh Prince era and all that stuff. And I was pretty sure that was forever. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. But then again, a lot of these brands, I mean, they do change the designers, they change their seasonal fashion things and stuff. So really, it might be the same brand name, but really the content has changed so widely from season to season that even if you were into them before, there's no one around who made that stuff any longer anyway. So there's really nothing apart from the, the label on the back that you yeah. might still recognise. I guess there's also something about if it's again like something like his stuff where he might get bored of a, of the stuff that he produced eventually, right? So he might want to just branch out and do other things. I mean, because I can see myself if I was a designer and just thinking, you know, I've I've gotten one or two things right, but I I just want to keep experimenting, coming up with stuff, and you know, I w I want that freedom to be able to do that. Uh, yes. It must be kind of difficult. Uh, to to maybe just have people who just expect you to go down the same sort of stream of thought every single uh, season, but that's why something like Mr. Freedom is interesting because he you know he sort of sets out very explicitly what his inspiration is and then goes from there every season. Or yes. someone like uh, William is really interesting because he's just into the real sort of production end of it, and you know he'll just focus on that bit of it. And every year there'll be a new experiment going on. And the design will be another sort of weird idea that he just wants to test out. And then some of them are really practical and awesome garments that I love. And then there are other things, even with his stuff, where I'm like, I like it, but I'm not sure it's something that I 
I want to sort of invest in because I'm not sure that I'll get much use of it. So, you know, yeah. at the end of the day, really, the stuff you get most use of is the stuff that isn't sort of that peacocky or... Speak for yourself, Nick. Some of us might be coughing around, actually. Because <laughs> yeah. I, th- I was just thinking, uh, sort of, uh, as opposed to brands that sort of reinvent themselves every season, you've got a brand like Universal Works, who keep making the Baker jacket yes. every season in just different fabrics. Yeah. So if you liked it two years ago, you can get one this year in an updated fabric, and it's really just the same jacket. Yeah. Or like engineered garments, like the Bedford jacket, you know, like I think they've been producing that for I don't know how long as well. You know, there's things like that where it's just like, which is really nice because, you know, you know that once you wear your one out, you know, there'll never be the uh, replacement for it. That's just as good. Whenever I look at engineered garments, I always sort of think, now, why on earth were they called engineered garments? Because there's this story about them showing some early garments to someone and they said, oh, this this is engineered. If you look at them, it's just made like everything else. So there's no reason for that. How dare you? How dare you, Nick? Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, yeah, I'll be getting yeah. death threats now. They'll, uh, engineer garments, they have their fans. They'll be after you. You're going you're gonna to watch out on Instagram now. But it's, no, it's, I, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. I mean, it's, it's well-made stuff, but yeah, I'm not sort of like blown away as, you know, some yeah. other garments. Like, I, if Mr. Freedom have... was called engineer garments, that would maybe make more sense. Yeah. Uh, yeah, in some ways, at least some of the stuff. Um, but I, I was really disappointed by the recent Engineered Garments Barber collaboration, which I thought, wow, now that sounds like it has good potential. Yeah. I was thinking of the, the previous Tokito uh, collaboration, which produced some immensely good stuff. But then the Engineered Garments version came, and yeah, it wasn't really that cool. Yeah. I mean, we, the Tokito jackets, they're still super sought after and can go for probably twice what they originally cost still. Yeah. So that was really inspired. But, uh, was was it basically barber stuff with sort of slight twists or was it more engineer garments with a slight twist? Was it... it was more slight twist to barber, I think. Okay. So, it, I mean, they hadn't taken it far enough. Yeah, uh, if you exactly. didn't know that it was engineered garments, you'd probably just have thought a slightly unusual barber, but yeah. But the Takito stuff was, I mean, it was a lot of fishing jackets and lots of things to put your salmon flies on, and there were all sorts of variants, and it's just really fun. You can even prance in it if you like. Because like <laughs> new salmon flies every day. <laughs> That's exactly what you need. You need more prancing gear. And so it's like, it's funny because I mean, uh, the, the Watanabe stuff um, with Barber I've seen and, uh, and that's really cool. And I think in general, I think there's a, well, this may, again, like that's another th- uh, topic, but there's an issue with collaborations where you sort of want 50-50, don't you, ideally? But it mostly ends up being sort of 90-10 in my experience. Or, I think that's, stuff that that's the problem. You, you sort of sense that the actual collaboration was more co-branding yeah. than an actual exchange of ideas and creativity. Exactly. Uh, and you sort of wonder what each party really wanted to get out of it. Because yeah. what you end up seeing is often really rather uninspired. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really vanilla and just, yeah, just the slight tweak. So it's sort of, why did you put his name on it? This is something you'd have made anyway. So, yeah. But then again, you sort of get that hype beast thing with all the sneaker collaborations and all this where you can tell that to really get people gagging for it, you have to have some famous rapper or something yeah, who's selected the colours for this <laughs> version or whatever. Yeah, uh, I won't say that sneakers is something I invest a huge amount of time in researching, but um, that's my impression anyway. No, that's my impression as well, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, definitely. Any last brand you'd like to mention? Um, I guess there's, I sort of put together a short list in my head and I, I guess I have two more. Okay. Uh, so one which I bring up all the time on my feed, I won't spend too much time on, but Dawson Denim is, is, is one of my favorite yeah. brands. Um, again, that's sort of a heritage inspired, but again, the thing that I like about it is that it has a very unusual sort of contemporary twist to it. 
It's not just a reproduction brand. And in terms of all the values, in terms of, you know, quality of production, it being local to me in particular, but also like the fabrics they use, all those things. Um, something like I, love, I love their imagery. They do really good shots. And I love their wide leg trousers. Uh, yeah. I'd love to get a pair of those in the 19 ounce denim. I think I think they'd have an 18 ounce, but not probably in the wide leg. Yeah, they don't really do the super heavy, or it's not 19 ounces isn't super heavy, I guess. But it's like the no. I don't think they go above 14 really yet. But you know, maybe that's something that. But if you like the imagery, Nick, you need to come down to Brighton. You know, there's that's where it's all taken. You know, yeah. just, <laughs> well, uh, I, I'd need the the regular guys walking around in their wide leg trousers to sort of get it really right. Right. <laughs> yeah. But I can um, see how the the local aspect and the that makes it special for you. Yeah. Yeah, because actually the first time that I saw it, uh, they used to just make aprons, and it was in Pegs and Sons, and I thought, imagine if I could buy a pair of jeans that was made in Brighton. That would be incredible. But I thought, you know, when is that going to happen? Because all they have is aprons. I mean, to jump from aprons to trousers is quite a a leap in production. It's quite a leap. Yeah. Hmm. So I thought that was never going to happen, but actually, with there was a, that was originally always their plan. Apparently, so a couple of years later, when I saw it, I was obviously very excited. Uh, and yeah, and like I told you last time, you know, I went all the way to Germany to get <laughs> the, my first jacket from them. So that was a bit of an experience. Um, so the other the other brand that I really like as well, that I was going to mention is um, Work uh, Workshop England. Um, I don't know if you know about that. Ooh, have I just? Mention another no, brand that don't know me. This is exciting. I think, yeah, I think they were on my radar, say, three years ago. Oh. Kind of low, <laughs> kind of low profile, though. And yeah. I think they mainly sort of aim towards Japan. Yes, and I think they have a different name there. Hackney, Hackney Union uh, yeah. is the name that they use there. Um, but again, yeah, so it's a um, really interesting brand. Um, the references are more sort of Victorian work, uh, where uh, a bit, yeah, a bit more sort of uh, stylized, and also some of the stuff is very sort of unusual cuts, you know, uh, things that don't necessarily sort of immediately sort of look Victorian at all, actually. So they sort of have two aspects to them: some of it which looks quite, you know, classical, sort of Victorian almost, and then other stuff that's like really sort of unusual. And, but it's a really interesting brand again, because it's a, from what I understand, you know, one or two people, you know, it's one guy designing it, and then, you know. Yeah, just cut out there. Yeah, yep. one guy designing it. So yeah, sorry, one, one person designing it, he has a, one cutter, and I think they're all sort of produced um, within the one shop otherwise. So quite an interesting um, sort of take on things um, and, the, you know, the sorts of things that we probably care about. Again, with Heritage, it sort of ticks those boxes for me. Um, but it's, again, it's one of those things where I think in terms of the style of things, you know, we, we always talk about this, don't we, where uh, I like to mix brands. I'm not particularly into wearing one brand in its full because I often find that, especially with workwear, that can look quite costuming at times, or at least for me, yes. you know, the way I like to wear things. So, I mean, that's maybe an, an interesting thing to sort of end on, is as much as I have these brands uh, that I really enjoy and love, like, I, I probably wouldn't wear a whole outfit by any particular brand alone, because I find that it doesn't quite um, reflect yeah. that, I guess. That can be a bit problematic. I have this this enduring image in my mind from when I used to hang on the forums. There was a guy in America who used to dress completely in post overalls, which makes you look like you were working the trains in 1920 or something. Yeah. So he had this, <laughs> and then he also had this sort of Amish style beard. Nothing wrong with that, Nick. Nothing wrong it was, with that. I mean, it's reenactment or cosplay or something. <laughs> totally buying into it, but I, I couldn't. So I couldn't do that. I, I live in a small town. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that, I don't think that's a bad thing. I mean, that's maybe another conversation for the future. But, you know, that thing where I do think there's a, like, there's a bit where you want to, you know, re fall back on the classic silhouettes and looks and combinations. But, I mean, personally, I also like just 
mixing up a little bit uh, and I never want to look like I've come out of someone's lookbook, if that makes sense. Uh, and I also don't want to look like the mocks and socks guy every every day. I'm not, nothing wrong with mocks and socks. I've, 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 I've worn both of those items. But, you know, I think there's a bit where I think uh, in general in the heritage world, there is a bit of a risk of people always looking either the same or very similar to each other. Uh, and so, yeah, I think that's one thing for me where uh, being committed to any one brand is in, in its entirety just don't takes away a lot of options to sort of, I guess, in a yeah. way, express yourself and all those things. But I, I think you realize you have a... I think you realise you have a problem when you sort of get up in the morning, you check what day it is, which hashtags uh, are relevant today. Uh, yeah. Let's see, it's Wednesday, so it's Red Wings and whatever. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Salvage Sunday and everything. I mean, uh, to me, it's salvage every day, Nick. That's what I say. Yeah, pretty much. Apart from when I'm not worried. <laughs> that, that's I think, a good new hashtag, then. I'll, I'll let you in on a secret. I bought a pair of trousers last Saturday. And I've been wearing them every day since. Trousers or denim? Well, they are actually in Universal Works Kyoto denim uh, oh. Japanese cut pants. Super comfy and really different. But it was the actually the denim that I noticed. I thought, wow, that's cool. Um, so I'm still not as, so blasé that I'm not swayed by uh, seeing something in a shop. So, um, yeah, there you go. Oh, I need, I need to see, maybe see a picture of that. So, so oh. if, if you've been impressed by a pair of denim, that that must be pretty special. Yeah, well, they're, they're not salvage and the universal works, so, but really, that's it. you've been cancelled. You've been cancelled on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. Can't be part of this conversation any longer. They're not salvage, Nick. Oh my god. Oh yeah. And on that shocking note, I think it's about time for us to. Uh, to Let's call it today. Cool. It's been a great chat, Ducky. And uh, I'll catch up with you again soon. Yeah, sounds great. Okay. Talk to you Thanks later. Bye. Bye. That's all for this episode of Gomology. If you enjoyed this, please do subscribe and I would really appreciate a good rating. Thanks for listening in and see you next time.